Hi guys and welcome back to the Building Financial Fitness Podcast. And today we have with us David Ward, who is the founder of The Grapepreneur. Hi, David. Hi, Eunice. How are you? I'm good. And like, uh, it's nice to speak to someone who's just uh, across the causeway in JP. Yes, yes. I would love to be there today, but uh, some problems this morning uh, to not get there in person. So greatly appreciate you and the team accommodating the last minute changes. No, no worries on that at all. And it's just, it's great to have you on. I just wanted to go right into it where the first time when we were talking, I think we actually had a pretty long and in-depth conversation about the realities of what it is to be an aging worker or an elderly worker. But before we get into that, could you tell us more about what you do? What's your background? What's your story? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those. I'm, I'm a great preneur. I'm running up to uh, 62 years of age. But my story's uh, quite broad. I started in engineering and then I moved into uh, L'Oreal many moons ago. Hmm. Was the kind of go-to guy, you know, to fix things at L'Oreal, even at that stage of my career. And then I joined the fashion industry and I was in the fashion industry and the sports fashion industry for a very long time, almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And worked for some fantastic companies like Quicksilver, Oakley eventually ended up working with JD Sports, focused on their licensing, their brand licensing business, Mm -hmm. so managing all their partners overseas. And this was partly the reason that I started to be coming over to Asia more often. And so for a couple of years, I was probably in Asia about 50% of the time and really liked it. And uh, I moved over in 2012. I'd only been on the ground, I think, three or four months. And then I had a bit of an epiphany that I should develop sustainable and products because sustainability wasn't really prevalent in the, in the region at that time mm-hmm. and created what was then Asia's or Southeast Asia's very first home care brand made from sustainable materials. Mm. I spent the next three years building that brand. It's still available here in Singapore. Um, I moved away from the brand after three years when it was sold mm. onto another larger MNC. And all this is going on. I never left a job and didn't have two other jobs to go to. Mm. But when I hit 50, that kind of changed. Mm. Yep, yep. I remember I talking about this. I wasn't this. that guy. Yeah. You know, uh, nobody, nobody told me. I didn't get the memo on, on all that change. It just sort of happened. That was my first uh, inkling that as one gets older, it's actually less relevant to do with your skills and, and your experience or even the salary you might be um, asking or the role might be paying. Um, there just seemed to be this perception that you were past your best. Mm. That was when I first started to utilize the, the word grapepreneur. I used it, you know, in, in a kind of self-mockery, really, for a while. And um, just used to think it was just me, mm. you know, and uh, and I wasn't going to sit around. So that's why I created, you know, that first business. It was, you know, well, I'm not going to wait around for people to hire me. I'll just get on and do something. And I guess that's the difference. Some people, you know, may not have that motivation immediately. Mm. And then I took the decision really to embrace what Greatpreneur represented it because it became very clear to me that it wasn't just me. In fact, it was happening to a lot of people I knew, mm. you know, acquaintances. You know, LinkedIn's a great tool. I mean, suddenly you're reading, well, that's very similar to what happened to me. Mm. Um, and and not just in, you know, the UK where I was, you know, initially based or, or here and certainly in Southeast Asia where at least some of the governments, including Singapore, are a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of the realization that we're moving into a kind of a super aged society situation and that there is there is going to be need for us to figure out how we can help people who are older Mm. skilled experienced 
but for some reason or other, um, not first pick anymore. Yep. You know, for further training in their companies or first pick or possibly not even be able to get an interview anymore. Mm. And once retrenched at sort of 50 upwards, difficult to get back to where you were. Mm. So, you know, if you're a guy and you didn't really start work until you were 26 because you did national service, mm. that's like, a th- you know, just over a third of your life is work. The rest of it was either you getting ready for work or you trying to find work afterwards because now you've touched 50, 52, mm. and suddenly you're not being able to get an interview or get, or get the job that you had. Mm. Um, and, and that was the sort of dawning of that we needed to do something, but it needed a catalyst. It needed some. Every time I sort of broached the subject and looked at it, it was like, well, yeah, but, you know, if we try and retrain people, we're just going to be retraining them with the same tools and in the same methods that, that are already there. And it's clear, you know, people who are over 50 didn't grow up with keyboards, probably didn't touch computers till they were 25 or 30 years of age. And as a consequence, they're not that great at Excel or things of that nature. Mm. And for companies, that's how they judge them. They say, well, they're not very technically or you know, technologically savvy, but, but that's not really true. Considering the largest age grouping of people that use Facebook is over 50, it's not to do with the technology, it's to do with the interface. How they're just not very good at typing, basically. Mm. They know what they want, they know what they should be looking for because they've had positions where they could absorb and see that kind of data and information over many years, but they maybe they're not very good at you know building PowerPoint presentations or putting Excel sheets together, you know, from the sales or working out a PL, for instance. These are quite complicated, you know, a three-sheet PL and balance sheet and you know cash flow forecast. These are you know complicated pieces of work if you've never been trained to do them. So the arrival of generative AI really for me became the catalyst of change. It, for me, it's a watershed moment where we can step around existing technological barriers. And the technological barrier that I'm focused on is the keyboard mm-hmm. in this instance. Uh, and here we are a year later. And I always thought it would be like sometime in 2024 that we would be able to speak to AI and like converse with it and mm. get responses and get information back. But we're already there and it's only going to get you know more integrated into our lives and more accessible in terms of being a, a tool that we can work with. Yes. So this really became the, the moment where we could move the, the needle in a significant way to rethink what they might want to be looking at doing themselves in third stage of life you know there's a lot of people mm. who are 50 mm. 52 48 they're not going to retire till they're 60, 60 mm. or 65 sorry or 67 in some countries and, and that's and yet changing for, already mm. their retirement yeah, age for recruitment people they're kind of already in brackets nearing retirement in their in their eyes which is crazy you know so they can't take their pension they probably haven't in a lot of cases being able to you know um, save up considerable sums of money external to their pension Mm. which they can't touch because they're somewhat of a sandwich generation they may still have particularly in asia elderly parents or an elderly parent still alive and they've still got teenage to sort of 30 year old children who may be you know getting some degree of support Mm. from them so you know they're they're kind of stuck in the middle so they they need to be able to continue to work and for some of them, of course, not everybody, the idea of, of wanting to start your own business and, and develop a passion idea into something wasn't something we were taught at school or mm. university. In fact, it wasn't something that was ever mentioned. Mm. You know, that's a relatively recent phenomena of the last 18 years or so. 
But if you've been working for a company and, you know, very happily and very loyal to that company as, as these generations are, that was never something you really looked at until the day somebody walked into your office cubicle or whatever and say, you know, sorry, I've got some news and suddenly them found themselves you know retrenched and mm. you know kind of a flag in the wind really just suddenly flapping around with no concept of what to do next they have very different needs and very different responsibilities already upon their shoulders to you know fresh grads you know under 30s who are often you know the the poster child of the startup world but in fact you know the most successful startups um, and the ones that tend to live the longest mm. um, are run by older people Hmm. But these are all the sort of peripheral bits around this whole concept of ageism, which, you know, is technically illegal, but is happening to people every day. Yeah, I think the, the last time when we talked about this, we also talked about the tech industry, which is, you know, a sector that we we both operate mm-hmm. in, right? And and that's where, that's actually a sector where ageism is actually quite rife. But I kind of yes. wanted to delve into actually one of the first few points that you talked about, which is, you know, when you hit 50 there were certain things that you really sensed, like there was a sea change or there was like a shift in the air. What are some of these things? Yeah, and and this is where I started to consider that this wasn't just my problem um, Mm. because this was the same story I was hearing from other people that, you know, I I used to be able to apply for jobs, I'd always get an interview, you know, but now I don't even get a response. Mm. Or you'll get a response and it's, well, yes, this role's probably too junior for you Mm -hmm. or you may be too senior now mm. for this kind of role. Mm. And I do distinctly remember one, which was a global role. They used this excuse to me. They said, yes, but you're probably just a bit too senior for this role now. Mm. Well, well, what sort of role would I be doing then? So some sort of intergalactic role. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is a global role. What, what is above that that I'm, that I'm supposed to be at, that you think I'm at? Of course, they don't answer these questions, of course. It's a very weak hand to say to people, but it, it, you know, there's no announcement, you know, there's no email, you know, or, or LinkedIn in the morning saying, hey, you finally reached that point now where you are not going to get interviews. That doesn't, mm. that doesn't happen. You know, a lot of HR work is, you know, screened by algorithms, you know, a lot of roles, particularly in, in Southeast Asia and very specifically in, in Singapore, mm. you know, require people to have degrees. And again, a lot of people who are probably 45 and upwards, well, they didn't go to university yeah. because university wasn't at that point part of the mainstream educational process you know you went to school you went out and got a job and you start to contribute to society now they want to hold up that back and put you through university you know and you stay in the education system for a lot longer these days Mm. and but you know the first benchmark of the you know the the search is looking at you know degree no bank they go straight in the bin Mm. or they're too senior or they must be going to want a lot of money have you asked them? Have you spoke to these people? No. So a lot of people are getting rejected. They don't even get the first run of the ladder to have a conversation with anybody. Mm. They're just dismissed for, you know, well, you don't fit into this exact box. So therefore you're out. But what do you think recruiters are looking for? Because, you know, sometimes it could see a fit in the skill set. Sometimes they'll look at the age. They'll also look at uh, the ask in terms of salary. Yeah, there's there's a lot of things that they do that they shouldn't be doing. Talk, asking people their past salary is one of them. Mm. That's really absolutely a no-no. You should never do that to somebody. What difference does it make what they were earning somewhere else? You're going to try and, you know, what, what does that say to anyone about a, a company? The moment somebody says that, I think it's a good opportunity. You should just walk away from the conversation anyway. Mm. But HR people want what they've already got. You know, often on LinkedIn, you'll see a job come up and you go, well, didn't they, didn't they fill that position like six months ago? Mm-hmm. And suddenly it's it's open again. 
Mm. Um, and it's not skill based. I mean, obviously now there's a, a call and, and LinkedIn a again have been championing this you know to base recruitment on skill base not on academic education Mm -hmm. you know because by the time you're i don't know 40 does your academic credentials really hold up anymore Mm. versus the skills that you've potentially gained over your period of of work but still it becomes the default first barrier for those that maybe haven't got that particular academic credential whatever it might well be because you know they didn't go to university for instance a lot of times you see people enrolled and, and look at their education it has nothing to do with the role they're doing but it's it's they got over that benchmark so they got in, they got into the queue at least a lot of people don't even get into the queue mm. for these jobs the recruitment industry in general is continuing a bit like a, an ostrich with its head in the sand they are not paying attention to this subject that we're talking about at all you know, who are just going to be filling those spots and companies continue with the framing of, you know, we're a young, vibrant company, mm. in brackets, which to me says we're not an inclusive company mm. in reality. That's what that means. Mm. Um, again, that is all, technically, that is a kind of illegal statement to say to people, you know, to put out about your company because it means that you're, you have no diversity of, of age. But by dismissing, for whatever reason, older workers, whether it's they, well, I think they're going to want a high salary or, you know, they're 52, they'll be retiring soon. Well, if you spoke to them, if you asked them all, you know, that whatever the reasons are that they're dismissing these generations of people, they're undermining the economy because whichever way we want to shake the stick, all of these people, they're going to have to draw that, draw those people back into the workforce. Not all of them will become greatpreneurs and start their own business, but still, we're going to need them. Mm. It's already happening in certain nations where, you know, the, the rethinking of the impact that these generations will have, the kind of like, you know, non-retirement approach to life, if you like, you know, whereas retirement was, oh, you're going to reach 60, you're going to retire, you're going to relax and do nothing. You know, two or three weeks, maybe a couple of months, that seems great. But after that, what are you going to do? You're going to do something. So we want to train those people that want to do something. But also, as a society in general, we need to embrace that these generations are going to be an important part of a potential workforce. Yeah, I think we're at a moment in time where retrenchments are actually rife across the board, across age categories. But it also impacts the people over 50 in in more outsized ways. And, you know, what you mentioned on there needs to be a sea change in terms of HR, how they they hire, also in terms of maybe government policy, also in terms of culture, how do they, you know, better foster intergenerational relationships? How do they try to harness the wisdom of the senior, of the older workers who've been with the company for a longer time, or they have actually a lot of knowledge that can be utilized if it was harnessed the right way but those are you know let's say listed larger picture things but let's say for somebody who is 40 and and 50 is just very close you know in the next couple of years what are some tactical things you think that they can do in their own career today well i think that one of the, the key things for anyone um, right now is to have a clear understanding of how you can utilize generative AI in your work. Mm. You know, if you're utilizing it in the specifics of you know known areas of knowledge to you or experience, it can help you dramatically increase your productivity, and it will just get better. And this, to me, is that is the big the big win for older generations in particular because they will be able to you know apply their knowledge and their skill and their passion 
into subjects and utilize the massive width of information and capability that uh, generative AI in, in whatever form it might be, you know, chatbot or ChatGPT or Bing or whatever, to go in and, and really sort of do a lot of heavy lifting with them. Mm. Yeah. Under their guidance, you know, there's a report came out this morning, actually, from Generative AI saying, you know, the potential for damage, you know, economic damage by Generative AI by 2025 could run into hundreds of millions of dollars, if not supervised by humans. Mm. And this is the exact thing. If it's supervised by someone that knows their subject and they know how to get the right answers out of it, because all the, all the Generative AI is doing is going out and finding the information that's all out there. And then presenting it to you in a, in a different way, in a new way. But that ability to interact with it was always the hurdle for people mm. in the past. So we're now going to move well past that. So that, to me, is one key thing that all generational should be doing. I think in Southeast Asia, particularly working through until you're almost ready to pop will become fairly common practice. But mm. the intensity of your work as you physically get older may change. Yep. And that is where generative AI can help and, and other technological advances, um, you know, will help us to continue to allow people who want to contribute, who want to still have that sense of purpose, to allow them to be able to continue to to do that mm. in, in, in a myriad of, of ways. You know, we're, we're going to see, I'm, I'm sure, some pretty startling implementations of generative AI over the next five years, which will change our fundamental views of, of what we consider to be work. So I had another question because you actually have worked with a lot of big brand name companies and obviously would have worked across many kinds of different cultures, different team sizes, different types of organizations. How often do you see age-friendly culture and practices? And in cases where you do see them, you know, what are the actually the tangible benefits to the organization, if any? And then the last question is how would an employee, what should they be looking out for if they were to want to look out for an organization that actually has age-friendly practices? I think that we're kind of on a bit of a seesaw here in Southeast Asia. The mm. governments are aware of the shifting demographics, mm. the socioeconomic impact of what's already happening. People living longer, pushing out retirement ages, people basically getting pushed out of the workforce slowly but surely at an earlier age through the consistent practices which which I do hope become outdated sooner rather than later and at the same time the general approach from companies is business as usual mm. the embracing of older workers is more visible when you go to places like Korea mm. and places like Japan in our region mm -hmm. um, and I would say also the same in some of the larger organizational companies in the United States Mm. where semi-retired older workers coming back into work for, you know, four or five hours, you know, three to four days a week, that kind of work framing mm. is becoming, particularly in, in you know, the retail industry um, or, or F&B industries. So because because they're short, short of manpower, so they've had to adopt their policies to the workforce which was available mm. and some folks don't necessarily want to you know stop the clock just yet so they've still got some fuel in the tank and, and want to contribute or it might just be that they you know gone a bit stir crazy after three months and decided that i can't spend my whole time doing semi nothing 
So we, we've got to up the ante here in Southeast Asia. I'm not really aware. I would say that probably some of the larger international corporations who have offices here in Singapore are already potentially looking at how they can integrate or sustain the older part of their workforce. Mm-hmm. And because they're seeing those policies being applied in other divisions or other country operations where maybe that sensitivity, that subject has taken hold a little faster, you know, but that's not the majority of companies that we that we have. Mm. So there has to be some realization. I think government's doing a great job of soft landing into this. You know, we had PM Lee come out with, you know, the young seniors Mm-hmm. You know, statement. Yep. Um, you know, a while back, and and that kind of kind of shook some people a little bit. In what way? Well, you know, people. Oh, I'm, I'm not that old. I'm only fifty, and you know, some people got upset by yes. it, which is really not point. What he was doing was saying we recognise that these, these generations are facing difficulties, mm. and a lot of it is out of their control. You know, they've got parents who are living longer due to better lifespan care and the great care of of the community that you know, that exists in Singapore. And, you know, they've got kids at university or starting out their own first professional life, but maybe not yet on the housing ladder. Again, you know, we've got the longer wait to, you know, get your own HDB and things of this nature, which which play into the sort of intergenerational family collectives living together. Mm-hmm. And it's the central, you know, maitre d', if you like, who's potentially this person facing these now difficulties of, of you know, worrying that they could potentially lose their job or have already been retrenched. Yeah, you're right. I think the last time when we spoke, we also talked about that sort of that brain drain, if you will, because I think a lot of us will be familiar with meeting people, like maybe people who are over 50. Some of them could be grab drivers. I think a lot of us can you know, have this experience of actually talking to a grab driver and when they talk about what they, what right. they used yeah. to work as. Yeah. You know, some of them could yeah. be like on management teams and they're, let's say, yeah. like super experienced in oil and gas, for yeah. example. For some reason, when oil and gas was down, then they started to drive grab. And, you know, for them, it is still making a living. Yeah. But, you know, it's not the best use of their talents or it's the knowledge the that they have. For the, for the nation, it's not the best use of their talents at all. And, yes. and that's the, that is absolutely one of the the key founding reasons for pressing the button to push the, the growth of Greypreneur and, and, you know, very happy that the first sort of iteration of a, of a program that sort of echoes what Greypreneur is about, you know, was we launched it just before Christmas with SUSS mm-hmm. um, and the team there. And, and um, we had five teams of five people, you know, doing immersion course in a week. And, and, you know, they punched out ideas that to the university were on par, if not better than some of the ideas that have been put forward by fresh grads in a 12 week program. Mm. And and this is down to experience. This is down to their experience. Yep. Might be a sport, might be, you know, a charity, might be something else. But in, in, in essence, they've seen some problems yep. and they've been trying to help. But yeah. it comes back to that, what opportunities are open? You know, the grab driver, and I've had that conversation, mm. um, who used to be an executive and, you know, just doesn't want to sit around, but can't find another job. Um, they don't even recognize that being an entrepreneur for themselves is an option because it isn't something that was ingrained into them at any point. Mm. And, you know, SUSS had a, an open call for people who are interested in the new program, which kicks off mid-Feb. Mm-hmm. And we had a fantastic, you know, response for people wanting to be involved. It's it's only one program. It's only, you know, there can only be, I think, 15 people. Mm. 
you know, this time because of budgets. But, you know, if government wants to throw down some more budget to them, I'm sure they'll do great things with it. Mm -hmm. And we've got to say to these generations that, you know, if you have an idea, if you have a passion that you've been involved with, it may well have been that you've already created some kind of little side hustle business. And, you know, now because of what has happened or the timing is right to be able to try and grow it and develop it. Yeah, and, and that's really the the motivation behind um, behind Greatpreneur is to is to take that talent and put it to better use. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you more about the Greatpreneur on a separate episode. But I think today we covered quite a fair bit on what, let's say, an employee in their forties or actually any any generation now could do, because when they look at their fifties, you know, there's a possibility that of them meeting that. You know what you experience and what other people have experienced, right? Where all of a sudden you're you're lower the totem pole when it comes to hiring decisions. So yes, I think these yes. are you know important it's, things for all of us to think about. Yeah, and it, and I know none of us want to think about it. You know that's normal, and, and we don't think it'll happen to us. Mm. But we're not in charge of that. It's going to require some fundamentally re-engineering. Mm. To them, it's very much the bottom line, the continuation of success. Yes, we want to reduce costs. Yes, we need to realize that people physically maybe can't work at the same rates that they did, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago once they reach sort of 65 or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the reality is they can't just put a, a line in the sand and say everybody past this date now mm. is is out because oh, there's no one else for them to recruit. Mm. There's less and less people coming in the, the other end. Mm. So if you want to build longevity and continue the longevity of your business, you're going to have to re-engineer your, your workforce. So there's going to be a bit more of a rebalancing, I think, and particularly as the millennial age groups move across that threshold, which I think we're going to see something like 10 or 12% shift in those over uh, 40 years of age in these next few years because the, the millennial you know, boom, if you like, of baby boom is, is, is now coming of age. Mm -hmm. And they're, as you say, they're running into that from that 40s to 50s, you know, but they already have a different approach and different attitude to work and life yep. than the previous generations. So again, we can't have a static situation. I do find it quite bemusing that, you know, the one cap fits all, they thought they could continue. And yet in the same time, they themselves are talking about it. And certainly everybody and their dog is talking about how there are generational differences. Mm. But yet we're still trying to play the same rules of what we expect them to do and how we expect them to work for us in brackets, the larger us. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think there has to be a bit of a mind shift and, and some larger corporations I think are waking up to the idea or beginning to run, you know, some programs in this direction because they want to continue to be able to benefit from the experiences of the people that have been working for them for a long time. Yeah, I think that's good food for thought for us to end off on. But for for those who want to find out more about the work you do, where can they find you? Uh, well, they can find me on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place. Mm -hmm. Um dead easy to find it's david ward fpl that's my name um, they can come to the uh greatpreneur website which is greatpreneur.life and mm. uh, they can also come to our main website which is the rescale lab website so um rescale labs the company i, I work with um, mm -hmm. and um it's rescalelab.com thanks so much david for being on really my appreciate pleasure. you taking the time my pleasure absolute pleasure Eunice. and thank you very much for asking me and again thank you very much for your accommodating my my change of uh, um location this no morning. no worries at all i look forward to seeing you in person thank you thank you
Many thanks as well to all of you out there for tuning in. This has been a fantastic conversation and we would definitely love to hear what you think about it. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us through the email podcast at melisten.sg or at my Instagram at misfitfi. Aside from that, if you enjoy what you're listening to and want to hear more, please help to spread and grow the show by subscribing on Me Listen or Apple Podcasts or by following on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, the Building Financial Fitness Podcast is an original production from Mediacorp and recorded at Scape Live Studios, The Pod, powered by Audio-Technica and City Music. Episode production is done by Junus Yu, with editing and support by Danny Cordy and Gareth Fernandez. Once again, I'm your host and BFF, Junus Yu. Until the next time.